coming. We are privileged to have some guests with us this evening from Nazarene Theological Seminary. Um, Dr. Andy Johnson, he's a professor of New Testament there at NTS, and also Ms. Ann Wright, she's the office manager and also a missions counselor for NTS as well. Let's welcome them here this evening. Dr. Johnson will be bringing us the word. Let us stand this evening as we sing a song where it says, Hosanna, you are the God who saves us, worthy of all our praises. Hosanna, come have your way among us. Let us worship. Thank you, Jonathan. Can you hear me? This is, I'm on? Good. Uh, it is, uh, it's a privilege to be here this evening. This is my first time ever to Colorado Springs. Um, in fact, I just found out that Piked Peak is here. Um, yeah. uh, just, to, just as I was driving in, I recognized some signs, and it began to dawn on me that maybe Piked Peak was somewhere around here. Uh, it's a beautiful campus. It is great to be here with you this evening. Um, we are very happy to be here. We've been in one class. We plan to be in another. Uh, but if you uh, would like to, to stop by, the, we have the booth right out here. And we'll be there for a couple of minutes probably. We'd love to talk to you, have some literature for you. Um, and you can always call either of us, call the admissions office, or go to www.nts.edu for information on, on NTS. Again, we're really, um, really privileged to be here and privileged to be able to uh, share the word of the Lord with you this evening. So let's, um, let's begin then um, with just a brief prayer. Father, this evening, may the words of my mouth and may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Well, I have good news for you today. God did not send Jesus to die on the cross just so you could go to heaven when you died. I saw raised eyebrows. I better say that again. I have good news for you today. God did not send Jesus to die on the cross just so you could go to heaven when you die. And all the people said, that's a good response. I wasn't quite expecting all the people to have said amen because I'm sure the Apostle Paul would have said amen to that. So I want to direct your attention then to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. And I'm going to be reading this evening. Thank you, Jonathan, for it was on the screen at one point. I did see it on the screen when I came in for, uh, for uh, putting on the screen at least in a minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 through 21. This is from the Common English Bible, uh, slightly modified with a word or so that I inserted. So let's, uh, let's begin with uh, verse 14. The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this. One died for the sake of all, therefore all died. He died for the sake of all so that those who are alive should live not for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. So then, from this point on, we won't recognize people by human standards. 
even though we used to know Christ by human standards, that isn't how we know him now. So then, if anyone is in Christ, that person is part of the new creation. The old things have gone away. And look, new things have arrived. All of these new creation things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ by not counting people's sins against them. He has trusted us with this message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors who represent Christ. God is negotiating with you through us. We, be we beg you as Christ's representatives, be reconciled to God. God caused the one who didn't know sin to be sin for our sake, so that through him, or so that in him, we could become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. We are thankful for it. I'm going to do something that I never teach students to do when I teach you how to interpret the Bible. We're going to read this passage. We're going to start with this passage by reading it from back to front. Because it's in verse 21 where Paul gives me the amen that most of you gave me a while ago. That at times when I have preached this sermon in other places, I've not received. This is where Paul gives me the amen that I was looking for a while ago. Verse 21. Where Paul says, God caused the one who didn't know sin to be sin for our sake. Why? Just so that you could go to heaven when you die? No. So that in him we could become the righteousness of God. But what's that mean exactly? Uh, righteousness is one of those words that some of us know how to spell and some of us recognize it has something to do with being good or something like that, uh, but we aren't really sure exactly what it means. Um, in, in fact, if you're ever sitting in church and someone asks you what the righteousness of God is, you can give them the standard Sunday school answer for all questions and you'll be pretty close, which is Jesus. Now, I'm, I say that being a little bit facetious, but... Uh, that takes a little bit of unpacking. Because you see, for Paul, God's righteousness is the way that God acted to make good on his promises to Israel. And the way that God acted to make good on his promises to Israel and to the world brought salvation, new life, reconciliation, all hallmarks of true saving justice. And how did God do that? Well, here's where Jesus comes in. He did that through Jesus. You see, God's saving righteousness looks a lot like what Jesus did in his whole life and death. Why then does Paul say that God sent Jesus to experience the overwhelming power of sin just so that we could go to heaven when we die? No. He says, so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. So that in him we could become 
God's saving instrument or instruments through which he continues bringing salvation, life, and reconciliation to a world that so sorely needs it. Now, before I get too far down this path, let me assure you that I am not saying that God is calling you as an isolated individual to save the world. God is already doing that. But if you are a part of a local church, you are in Paul's terms in him. You are in Christ. And even if you're just a little toe in the body of Christ, God's very lifeblood, God's spirit, is flowing through, is coursing through the veins of the body of Christ and into you as well. And it is because of that, because, it's God's, because of God's spirit, that it enables the body as a whole and you as an extension of it into your community to become the righteousness of God in him. Now, the rest of the scripture helps unpack that so we can go back and do what we usually do. We can read it from front to back. So we begin with verses 14 and 15 where Paul says, The love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one died for the sake of all, therefore all died. He died for the sake of all so that those who are alive should not live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. Now that's pretty clear, Paul. Christ died so that we could live for him. But sometimes I wonder if we understand that little simple phrase any better than we do the language of the righteousness of God. Because, you see, we mean various things when we say, I live for, and you can fill in the blank, I live for football. By that you might mean that you live to crawl up on the couch on Saturday and watch college football, or you might mean that you, you, you go home on a Sunday afternoon, climb up on the couch and watch the NFL. Uh, you might mean that you spend half, and I would ask for a show of hands, but I'm afraid there might be some. You, you might spend half your time managing your own fantasy football team. Won't ask for a show of hands. So, sometimes I think that these are the sorts of things that we mean when we say we live for Jesus. I mean, we live for some squeaky clean, thin, wispy version of Jesus. Some version of Jesus that who, who sits all nice upon the throne that we can go and admire on a Sunday morning. Or, or uh, we engage in some kind of fantasy game of imagining Jesus primarily as a conductor on a train bound for heaven, and living for him means trusting that he knows the way and he can get us there. Well, to come back just for a moment to football, we might mean something different when we say we live for something like football, for example. We might mean that we actually live to play the game, which I did in college. We had full pad intramural football, and from one Saturday to the next, I lived for football. It was the funnest thing I did in my week. I lived to actually play the game. And you see, when Paul says that Christ died for those, so that those for whom he died could live for him, I think that's more like what he means. I think Christ died for us so that we could actually play the same game he plays. 
if you will. You see, not the game that the thin, wispy version of Jesus played, but the real flesh and blood Jesus that we find in the pages of the Gospels. To live for this flesh and blood Jesus would mean things like caring for the homeless, Mary, or um, having a vision, Kimberly, wherever Kimberly is, for the addicts. This is touching the untouchables, feeding those who are hungry, Ann. Just found out something new about Ann. Hanging out with the despised, maybe even praying for forgiving and doing good to our enemies. To live for the real flesh and blood Jesus, then, is an aspect of what it means to become the righteousness of God in him. And that would mean living by the standards of the new creation that Paul speaks about in verses 15 and 16, where, where he says, So then, from this point on, we won't recognize people by human standards. Even though we used to know Christ by human standards, this isn't how we know him now. So then, if anyone is in Christ, that person is part of the new creation. The old things have gone away, and look, new things have arrived. For Paul and any other first century Jews, it was an absolute scandal that the Christ, that the Messiah, was hung on a cross. There were lots of painful ways to die in the Roman Empire, more painful than dying on a cross. But the most shameful way to die in the Roman Empire was to die naked, humiliated in a public place, hanging on a Roman cross. By human standards, it was the most shameful way to die. And what it did was to identify Jesus with those that society despises. Like the addicts, the homeless, the hungry. Um, it identified Jesus with the lowlights of his society. Now, of course, Paul knows, and we know, that God vindicated Jesus by raising him from the dead. We all know that. God's raising a crucified man from the dead started a new creation, and it turned human standards upside down, or you might say better, right side up. That new creation isn't organized by the same standards as the old creation was. And new creatures in this new creation know that Jesus' identification with those who were shamed, with those despised in society. New creatures in the new creation know that that has stamped these folk. The people that I've been talking to some of you about ministering to. You have visions for ministering to these people. It has stamped them forever with an I matter to God stamp. And new creatures in this new creation don't just know that, they show that. People like Don, an ER nurse in Chicago who uh, had a really rough life after after uh, several years of, of alcoholism, being addicted to alcohol, bouts of depression, lots of failed relationships. She became a new, create, a new creature in a 
new creation that was happening in a local church in Chicago. Scott McKnight, in one of his books, writes a story uh, that she told him, and it's worth hearing. So I want us to hear this story that Don tells. Give us hearts as, ser as servants was the song they were singing as I left the church service, heading off for my second 12-hour shift in a row. Weekends in the ER can be absolutely brutal. I was physically and emotionally spent as I walked up to the employee entrance. Don, can you lock down room 15, yelled out my charge nurse as I crawled up to the nurse's station. When someone asked for a lockdown, it was usually a psychiatric or combative case. The masked medics arrived with Nick, strapped and restrained to their cart. The hallway cleared, with heads turned away in dis disgust at the smell surrounding them. They entered the room, and I could see Nick, with his feet hung over the edge of the cart, covered with plastic bags, tightly taped around the ankles. The smell was overpowering as they uncovered his swollen, mold-encrusted feet. After tucking him in and taking his vital signs, I left the room to tend to my other ten patients in waiting. Returning to the nurse's station, I overheard the other nurses and techs arguing over who would take Nick as their patient. The doctor had ordered a, a shower complete with betadine foot scrub, antibiotic ointment, and non-adherent wraps. The charge nurse looked in my direction. Don, will you please take Nick? Please. You don't have to do the foot scrub. Just give him the sponge in the shower. I agreed and made my way to gather the supplies and waited for the security guard to open up the hazmat shower. As I waited with Nick, the numbness of my business was interrupted by an overwhelming sadness. I watched Nick, restless and mumbling incoherently, to himself through his scruff of a beard and a mustache. His eyes were hidden behind his ratted, curly, shoulder-length mane. This poor shell of a man had no one to love him. I wondered about his past and what happened to bring him to this hopelessly empty place. No one in the ER that day really looked at him, and no one wanted to touch him. They wanted to ignore him in his broken life, but as much as I tried, I could not. I was drawn to him. The smirking security guards helped me walk him to the shower. As we entered the shower room, I set out the shampoo, soaps, and towels like it was a five-star hotel. I felt in my heart that for at least ten minutes, this forgotten man would be treated as a king. I thought for those ten minutes he would see the love of Jesus. I set down the foot sponge and decided that I would do the betadine foot scrub by myself as soon as his shower was finished. I called for the stock room for two large basins and a chair. When Nick was finished in the shower, I pulled back the curtain and walked into the throne of warm blankets and the two basins set on the floor. As I knelt at his feet, my heart broke and stomach turned as I gently picked up his swollen feet. Most of his nails were black and curled over the top of his toes. The skin was rough, broken, and oozing pus. Tears streamed down my face while my gloved hands tenderly sponged the brown soap over his wounded feet. The room was quiet as the once mocking security guards started to help me by handing me towels. 
As I patted the last foot dry, I looked up, and for the first time, Nick's eyes looked into mine. For that moment, he was alert, aware, and weeping as he quietly said, Thank you. In that moment, I was the one seeing Jesus. He was there all along, right where he said he would be. You see, Jesus died so that Don could be embraced by the new creation that was going on in her local church and become a new creature. But not only for that. You see, Jesus died so that Don could become the righteousness of God to Nick, who by God's new creation standards is a king. Paul goes on to say, all of these new creation things are from God, who reconciled, him, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. In other words, God was reconciling the world to himself through Christ by not counting people's sins against them. He has trusted us with this message of reconciliation, so we are ambassadors who represent Christ. The good news is that we are indeed ourselves reconciled, but not just so that we can go to heaven. We are reconciled so that we can become Christ's reconciling ambassadors, something a small Nazarene church in southern Bangladesh knows very well. And maybe you've read their story in Nazarene Compassionate Ministries magazine. It's hanging on your wall if you want to read it out there. You see, this small church is made up of people from a low-caste social background. They are a, a people who have experienced oppression on a daily basis all their lives, but it only became worse when they became Christians. There was one central well in their village. It had the only safe drinking water for at least three miles. When they became Christians, people in the, their village refused to let them draw water anymore from that well. And when you are already simply living in survival mode as they are, walking an additional six miles a day is exhausting. A round trip just to get something you and I take for granted, life-giving water. It exhausted them so that they, they, they thought they would try a well that was a little bit closer. The well turned out not to have been safe. And some of the adults in the, the church got very sick. More tragically than that, they watched as some of their children died because they drank the unsafe water. Now, thankfully, um, we, through the support of a network of churches, they were able to build a tube well in their village, which gave the best, safest drinking water in the village and for miles around. And when the well was completed, they had a service of thanksgiving to God, and they dedicated to God's, the, the, the well to God's glory and honor. And that's exactly what resulted from it. Honor and glory to God. Because, you see, they refused to discriminate against any of the villagers, even the ones who had been the most vocal in banning them from the central well. They invited them to the life-giving water to partake of physical life with them. 
the result has been that some of the ones who are the most vocal in banning them have joined their worship services and have actually stood side by side with them, reconciled to them in God, giving honor and glory to God. You see, they're Christ's own reconciling ambassadors who not only preach a message of reconciliation, but who engage in a ministry of reconciliation. Their church body as a whole has become the righteousness of God through which God is reconciling, through which God is, is making people who were God's own enemies and their enemies into God's children and into the brothers and sisters of those who were ones they, they had they had harmed in such awful ways. You see, in this new creation ruled over by the real flesh and blood Jesus, this is the Jesus who taught us to pray for those who persecute us. The one who taught us to do good and for our enemies, loving our enemies. Love doesn't mean feeling warmly towards them. It means actually working on their behalf. Working for their good. In this new creation, Ruled over by this real flesh and blood Jesus. Reconciliation with God compels us to seek reconciliation with those who we may have every right to loathe as our enemies, whether they are across the world, whether they sit in the pews next to us, or even live in the same house as we do. So, in what way are you and the local church of which you are a part Living for the real flesh and blood, Jesus. In what way are you living out the standards of the new creation, refusing to eva evaluate people by the standards of the old creation? In what way are you in the church of which you're a part, Christ's reconciling ambassadors in your community? In what way are you in the church of which you're a part, becoming the righteousness of God in your community. See, we might even say it a different way. We might say, in what way are you and your local church reflecting the very character of the holy God to those around you? I hope you're beginning to get the picture. Becoming the righteousness of God is a pattern, a spirit-enabled pattern of activity that puts our Trust in the Lord with all our hearts on public display. It is a public testimony that we really do acknowledge him in all our ways. It's the same path that Jesus went down. And so we know that we are trusting him and acknowledging him in our ways, if our ways are like his ways. In our tradition, we have another name for this that sometimes goes by the name of holiness. That's what it means to reflect the character of God to those around us. So, if there is no living for the real flesh and blood Jesus, no living by the standards of the new creation, and no reconcile reconcilers offering reconciliation to those 
who don't deserve it at all, then there is no holiness in our lives reveal that we really aren't trusting in the Lord with all our hearts. Now, this passage doesn't say everything that Paul says about the death of Jesus. And Paul certainly does believe that because of Christ's death and resurrection, we will also share in his resurrection and the eternal life that brings when the new creation comes in its fullness. And we believe that too. But as I said at the beginning, I have good news for you today. God did not send Jesus to die on the cross just so you could go to heaven. God sent Jesus to die on the cross so that you, so that we could become the righteousness of God in him. And along with the Apostle Paul, all the people said, Amen. Amen. Let me say a word of prayer for us, and then we'll have a benediction. Father, this, this evening, we pray that you will make us sensitive to the call of your Spirit, that you will make us sensitive to the way that you would shape us, to what you would call us to, because we know that you are a God who empowers us to do whatever it is you have called us to. We are thankful for the word of the Lord this evening. We are thankful for the grace that comes to us from through all of those gathered around us right now. We are indeed a blessed people. We give you thanks for, for this privilege of hearing your word and being a part of your people this day. In the name of our Lord, I pray. And now, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.